Yo, this is Pete Town's finest, representing the NEP, D. Stoudemire, and y'all know what we're talking about. No one's ready to deal with us. Hi, this is Mason Plumley. You'd have to pay me a lot more than $4,500 to listen to the Rip City Report with Joe Freeman and Casey Holdall. Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to another edition of the Rip City Report. I am Joe Freeman of the Oregonian. He is Casey Holdall of Trailblazers.com. Greetings, everybody, and a uh, happy 2017 to all of you. First, uh, first Rip City Report of the... Uh, of the new year. Indeed. How are you, Casey? I'm well, Joe. Excellent. It's good to see you. It's fantastic to see you, yeah. as always. As always. Yes. It's always a pleasure. Always we have been pleasure. spending quite a bit of time apart lately, so... Yeah. It's so... We're now... We're we're back in in even more loving graces. Yeah. Now Is that the, a figure of speech? I don't think so, but... Let's make it one. But I'll fix it by saying that the absence has made our hearts grow fonder. There you go. Which is a saying. That is that is definitely a saying. How was your New Year's? Um, it was very, it was all right, actually. I went out, um, I didn't plan on doing anything, ended up getting a few drinks with, a uh, PR staffer Colin Romer. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe you mean PR staff extraordinaire Colin Romer? Sure, why not? I, I would say extraordinaire, but the game book fiasco last night has left me a little, a little sour, so actually, <laughs> it really hasn't, actually. Um, but, uh, so that we were in, in Minnesota, and, um, there's this place in northeast Minneapolis where um, there's like a quote unquote dive bar, and I wouldn't even call them dive bars. They're more like old club bars. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's one like every like four or five blocks. So you go to one, you walk out, and then you we go to another. And there, and each one there was like an a one that was like an old old one that was like all older folks and everyone playing pull tabs. Definitely the best of the of the two <laughs> or of the three. Actually, I guess we went to four. Um, we went to first place that had great great. Uh, Lobster rolls, I guess. I don't know. Uh, long story short, we kept going back and forth. We went to a couple of them. One was like had been purchased and was kind of hipstered out, and then the other one was kind of in the middle where they had karaoke and it was still kind of old, but it was a newer crowd. And I got kind of a coke vibe from that one as well. But mm. um, so long story short, that's what I did. I I ended up leaving Colin because I wanted to go back to the hotel earlier. But uh, it was a good time. Inside into Casey, his favorite bar of the bunch was the one where old people were playing pull tabs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and I, I had them explain to me what – I mean, I've done pull tabs before because uh, I used to work – I used to sell – I mean, I used to sell lottery when I worked at a grocery store. Um, but they do it a little bit differently there. It's more like a – their lottery is – I mean, like the Oregon lottery is a fundraiser if you really get down to the basis of it for you know schools and yeah, roads, yeah. so on and so forth. There's They run it more like it is like a fundraiser. So there's like a lady from – you know the the Lions Club who hangs oh. out in the bar at a at a table basically and sells pull tabs and it's like they're in a bin and the bin has X number of winners and they mark off when someone wins that prize so it's I don't know it's kind of fun huh. and I mean people were dumping I mean and this makes sense too because if anyone who's ever been to a bar that has lottery in it has seen people sitting in front of machines for hours and hours on end I mean there were garbage. Garbage is full of discarded pull tabs, and each one costs at least a buck. Huh. So, I mean, like, that's... it has got to be a better system for that. Well, I mean, you know, the idea that it's like a fundraiser, I, I think I makes, you know, true. it's... Yeah. I, I could see that. You know, you you want to support your kid's Little League team, you go to the bar with 20 bucks and play pull tabs. So, I made it to New Year's. I'm getting to be that age, and mostly it's because of the, the uh, toddler is, uh, you know, are you even going to be awake on New Year's? And yeah. my wife and I did make it, so congratulations to us. Yeah, way to go. Oh, we way to go, Freemans. Yeah. Uh, did you guys, did you, like, toast we didn't or anything, really or did, no, the baby, didn't. did the baby stay up that late? Hell no. 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 She's, she's got a firm 7, 7.30 bedtime. Yeah. 
sometimes she'll stay up late if we're like out and about, like at a friend's house or something. But that's sure pretty rare. Um, you know, I actually went more hard. I went fairly hard the day before uh, because of. Uh, my favorite college football team, Florida State, was playing Michigan in the Orange Bowl. You may have heard, Casey. And, I did hear uh, that. They, they were victorious in surprisingly fashion. Most people didn't expect that to happen. So I had fun on, I guess it was Friday or the 30th rather than the 31st. So Excellent. I was pretty tame on New Year's. Yeah. In fact, we turned down an invite from one of our neighbors to go hang out over there just because uh, we were just like feeling lazy and lame. Yeah, New, lame. New Year's to me, it's it's gotten to the point where, yeah, it's like, I don't yeah, New Year, I, I feel like it's New Year's and Fourth of July are the two holidays for me where like I always go into it with ideas that we're going to do something. It's going to be fun, and then things fall apart. And then at a certain point, it's like, why am I running myself through the ringer here? So you're saying you hate America and new beginnings? No, what I'm saying is I try. Those are the holidays where I want to do things. Oh. I want to celebrate America and, and those new, new beginnings, beginnings yeah. but it always ends up pissing out for one one reason or another. Uh, I would transition to say kind of like your Portland Trailblazers, but I'm not going to do that. But here we are on January 9th. It is our first podcast of the new year, and the Blazers are not exactly, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Playing, playing well up to expectations. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, expectations at this point are out the window. Even I mean, now it's like. Remember when we there need was wins bad. there was like debate about are they going to be a top four seed? Are they where are they going to slot? I believe we the... may have even had that that debate <laughs> on this here Rip City Report a couple months back, Joe. Uh, it's kind of uh, it's funny to wa- well not funny because I don't take delight in fans' emotions, but particularly when they're when they're sad yeah, when they're sad. But yeah. it is interesting to watch the the drastic up and downs of of this fan base right now who is. I would say reeling from where their team is. And we're almost at the midseason. Yeah, like, we're he, close. I remember all the times when Damian would try to say, you know, it's early and, and this and that. And it's definitely not early anymore. No. Um, we are literally almost at the midseason yeah, right now. This week that's, we'll, that's we will reach early. the midway point. And right. there's always kind of a – it always kind of feels like all-star break is the midseason, but it's not. It's I mean, all-star break is like – that's after that, that's the run. Yeah. So um, we're at the midseason now. The Blazers are – I mean, they're in eighth right now, but they're basically tied with the uh, Kings who have played two fewer games. And I think they're six or six and a half games behind OKC who's in the seventh spot. And I mean, when you start talking about six, seven, eight games like those, that uh, if you want to even get up further than the eight spot, the, it's it's kind of now or never really for them. And I mean, and that's not even, and that's to say, even getting an eight spot, you know, like there's there's nothing promised for this team right now. Um, there was a little talk last night after after the loss to the Pistons that they're trying to get to five hundred. And then when you look at that, there's seven games under 500, and you're like, "Whoa!" That's when you put it in that context with almost, you know, 40. What are they? 39 games into the season, you're like, "That's a that's a fairly significant hill to climb." So um, when you look at it like that, you're you're like, "It's it's it's real for these yos." Um, but I will say this: they're technically in the eighth seed right now, as yeah. you mentioned, which is insane to me at 16 and 23 that you are. Not only in playoff discussion, but in firmly in, well, not firmly entrenched, but a part of the eighth seed. So, um, before we get to news and notes and some topics and some buy and sell and all that good stuff, and your lovely questions, uh, we do want to pass along our information so you can find us out there in the world. You can access Casey's stuff at blazers.com slash forward center, and you can follow him on Twitter at Seaholt. 
You can follow me on Twitter yeah. at Blazer Freeman, and you can check out my and my colleagues' content at OregonLive.com slash Blazers. And uh, I know a large chunk of you fine listeners uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. That's fantastic. Thank, thank you, you thank for you, doing thank so. Uh, give us a review the next time you check us out. Uh, just to let us know what you think about the show. Absolutely. And real quick, too, I've been I've been getting this a lot lately. I guess Twitter made some changes to their display or something like that. So people keep mentioning that I'm, my account is verified and how I did that and why is your account verified. My account's been verified for like three years now. Um, so I don't know what changed everybody, but uh, I appreciate you noticing, but I don't care either. Like, I did no work for it. They asked me if I wanted to be verified. I was like, okay, and that was it. So there, there you go. go. There, <laughs> I'm only mentioning this because I was at, I've been asked about it like three or four times lately. So for me, it's I, I just want to get it out there now for the loyal podcast listeners. It, it doesn't matter. All right, there you go. There. Okay, on to news and notes. The Trailblazers suffered a heartbreaker Sunday night, falling 125 to 124 to the Detroit Pistons in double overtime at the Moda Center. CJ CJ McCollum sent the game into overtime and double overtime with separate clutch three pointers but missed an elbow jumper in the closing seconds of double OT that would have won the game. What a uh, game. Boy, it was a great game. Yeah. It was worth the the weather delay and 24-hour delay and double overtime and all that. It was um it was a sort of a running joke before the game of how many people were actually going to come, mm-hmm. you know, would it be more than 10,000? It was actually a pretty good crowd. A good crowd, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's not even the worst that's not even the top 3 worst crowd for a Blazers Pistons game that I've seen. All, <laughs> I would say all three of those have been in Detroit yeah. uh, no, or Auburn Hills. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that I mean, <laughs> Blazer fans on a makeup game in conditions that were somewhat harrowing for some people, though for others, myself included, it was rather easy to get in. Uh, but kudos to you because you guys show up in larger numbers in situations like that than a lot of fans do in perfect conditions for regular games. So. In Detroit's uh, defense, their regular conditions are probably worse than ours. Oh, absolutely, but their roads are also clear and, and pristine it, yeah. and so on and so Speaking forth. Speaking of PR extraordinaires, another uh, running joke uh, that I had last night with one of the Blazers PR extraordinaires, Aaron Grossman, uh, on the, I don't know what side. Is Corporate it? PR Corporate extraordinaire. Side? Well, I use Wonderkin for... Yeah, that would be a good description for him. Yeah. yeah, even though he's he's not a kid anymore. No, but you know it kind of fits. I'm really I'm really face into this mic. I gotta move back. You gotta, Sorry, whatever you feel comfortable doing. Uh, well, we were having a running joke about why are they even playing this? Well, he, we it was mostly me just yeah. antagonizing <laughs> him. I mean, this is the Blazers who are way under 500 against Detroit that no one cares about. Is anybody even going to show up to this? It's a horrible game anyway. And then you know he's trying to spin me, give me the old PR spin, talking about, well, it's going to be an entertaining game, obviously. So, yeah, there's reason to come. And so throughout the game, we had constant banter about whether or not it was entertaining. And he proved I am man enough to admit in the end to be correct. So kudos to him for being right. It was a very entertaining game. And as part of that entertaining game, Alan Crabb scored a career-high 30 points, making 12 of 15 shots, including 5 of 5 three-pointers. He was really hot early before sort of uh, giving away a little bit to CJ down the stretch when he got hot. Um Another news and note, the deadline to waive players with non-guaranteed contracts came and went over the weekend, and uh, Blazers backup Tim Quarterman made the cut. His salary is now guaranteed for the rest of the season. Uh, As always, uh, disclaimer on that, it doesn't mean that he can't be waived later should, say, the Blazers get involved in an uneven trade at the deadline. Um, As you noticed last year with uh, Tim Frazier, who was guaranteed after the deadline and later waived, 
you can do that. It's just that then the salary would the Blazers are still on the hook for his entire salary. So congratulations to Timmy Q. Yeah, the one thing that does change in terms of or not change, but it has to be considered, I guess. The only reason you would you would have cut Tim Quarterman, which I, I my understanding is that there was never any chance that he wasn't gonna be guaranteed. That's not Blazers seem that's what they do. You're on the team for that long. They typically, unless they have something in the hopper right then, you're probably going to be on the team. Uh, it does change. It, it does. If they do make any trades, it will change their luxury tax in theory. Um, because since that is now guaranteed money, it goes onto the cap, which lessens the amount of space they have uh, for the luxury tax. But long story short, I mean, they're, they're already in for however much they're in for 100 plus million anyway. So, you know, what's another half million dollars? Uh, Mason Plumley almost recorded his first career triple-double in the loss, finishing with 8 points, 12 assists, and 10 rebounds. He also had three blocks. Uh, and, boy, he came really close. He had a driving layup with about a minute and change left in double overtime. It was a pretty pretty wide-open layup that he went with his left hand and missed, and so he was that close to getting his triple-double. Uh, finally, looking at the week ahead, the Blazers play at the Los Angeles Lakers on Tuesday night and then come home to finish a back-to-back against the reigning champion Cleveland Cavaliers on Wednesday night. Then they round out the week with a home game against the Orlando Magic at the Moda Center. So, there we are. There yeah. are news and notes. I just wanted to mention, too, by the way, uh, I put this on Twitter. Look at the replay of the first CJ or the shot that CJ hit to send the game to overtime. Uh and watch Mason Plumley. Mason Plumley obviously inbounds the ball, um, but he goes under the rim to kind of try to position himself in case the shot doesn't go. I'm, I'm assuming for an offensive rebound, and he does this thing where he like jumps in the air and he like roadrunner like yeah legs. yeah like he he like did like a pogo move or something like it's hmm. I don't know if like he was just jumping and then when he realized he was going to go through he just bailed out of it and decided well, I'll just kick my legs up to the side or was something. was it a celebration or like well no a, because the no. ball hadn't gone through yet so it was more like he had energy to expend and rather than just being like well it's gonna go in he decided to expend it by again like it's i i don't even know how to explain it. i'm trying to make the move here in the studio but obviously those of you listening at home or in your cars or wherever you're listening can't see me gyrating right this now. is where the visual medium yeah. would really come in uh, yeah come no, into but benefit there no yeah. But long story short, watch watch it again because i i didn't notice it when it actually happened and then i saw it this morning i was like yeah i wonder what mason was doing there we have to ask him uh, okay. Yeah, by the way, too, that locker room, whew, cleared out cleared last out. night. You yeah. know, it wasn't as, like, demoralized as no. I expected. It was pretty, like, straight and narrow, kind of plain, but they... Yeah, I I, they I, I definitely took it more as a, I want to get home. Yeah, like get Not, not so much, yeah. I I don't want to yeah. talk about it, though. I mean, who wants to talk about double overtime loss? But it was more like, I thought I was going to be home. I thought Sunday was going to be an off day in the first place. Then we ended up playing played at six we ended up playing two extra periods i'm gonna go home by the way if any of you happen to be on at rock bottom on saturday night in the middle of the snowstorm and you have some really good detroit pistons stories i'd love to hear them because apparently detroit pistons uh went to rock bottom to spend their saturday snow out night uh and i can't think of a more nba thing to do on the road than to go to rock bottom in portland well unless there was a cheesecake factory somewhere in portland i think our closest one is is at Washington Square, so that would be quite a trek, especially in those conditions to go to a cheesecake yeah. factory. But yeah, going to a going to a uh, a chain, chain restaurant. Yeah, though so, I mean to to be fair, I, I I will indulge in a chain restaurant from time to time sure. as well because when you're on the road, you sometimes you it's do. like you know. Well, and I, it's not even just that; it's just 
I know this is probably not going to be the best meal or the most fun, but I, I have a baseline. I know what it's going to be. And I could try to go somewhere cooler and more fun, but, like, I don't know that it's – I've never been there before. Sure. Maybe it's not to my taste. Maybe it sucks. Maybe the people who work there are jerks. So I, I can understand. All right. Uh, I don't know where to begin here. Uh, it was – this is an interesting stretch for the Blazers uh, heading into two games ago, heading into the uh, – uh, what was a win against the Los Angeles Lakers uh, – Terry Stotts had kind of taken a, a detour from his normal, um, I don't know what, message or banter or whatever you want to say. He's always been a guy who is in the cliche, uh, one game at a time, live in the now kind of moment. But he was a little more forthright than normal, talking about the importance uh, of their three-game stretch, almost calling it a must-win um, because uh, of the mix of home games and games against teams with losing records. Uh, and so I sort of wonder how, you know, when you when you lose a game that you pretty much call must win. No, you know. no. I mean, I I don't know that must win is <laughs> – I don't want to sound like Terry here, but I don't know if must win is exactly what he was saying there. I disagree um, with the premise of your – Yeah, well, that, yeah, there you go. That's that's definitely a Terryism. <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, yeah, it, you're right. And these three games are important, and losing one is definitely not good for the team. I mean, and as much as losing is never really good for the team. Uh, but I don't know that what he was necessarily saying is that we these three games are a must win. I mean, I, I think it's it's more an admission of we're not a particularly good team right now, so we need to get wins against all of the teams that are kind of around us. You know, and, and does that mean must win? I Not to me, but because for me, must win has to have like a there's got to be a stick. You know, it's got to be like you either win or you or X happens. So I guess, I mean, if if you're of the opinion if they don't win these three games, they're not going to make the playoffs, I guess that would make it a must win. But I just don't at this point, I don't know that I would. So his is, here's his quote. Yeah. So give me give word me the quote, for word. Joe. We need to win all three of them. OK. I'm not one to look too far out. I want to look at the next game. But these three games after the stretch that we've had are a little more important. Also, after the game, after the Blazers won... A little more important. Yeah. Well, the first sentence is, we need to win all all three of them. He just didn't have the must in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guess it's for me. It, I mean, it, it is a semantic argument, I guess. Yeah, I don't it know. It, and, you know, it's funny. We were talking about this earlier, and we decided to save this for the podcast because I've been sort of calling it a virtual must win, or he calls it an all but must win without saying it's a must win which Casey thinks is stupid that I did that. So I wouldn't say stupid. I don't think it's I don't think anything you do is stupid, yeah, Joe. I, was I respect you in general, but I, I just don't like that I sometimes understand why people in sports are so careful with their comments because like because Terry says one thing and then we say it's a must win and then it's like did he say it's a must win or was it like we should win these games and is that really all that we need to win all three of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's it. it. But I guess to my point, would there ever be a time where you were before a game, you'd be like, hey, Terry, do you need to win this game? And he'd be like, no, we don't. <laughs> we're, we're good. I mean, I guess actually there are times like that it, towards the end of the season or sometimes yeah. it's like, yeah, no, we don't, we don't need to win this game. But I would say for the most part, they always need to win games. But I, I think these games do have added significance. And Terry said as much, and, I, and kudos to him for – for breaking ranks and actually saying 
you know. Yeah, and that's actually, I think, the larger point beyond the semantics and all that is that I actually give him credit for finally doing, well, not finally, but reaching the point this season where he's where he's doing that. And I don't know if it's a motivational ploy or uh, just uh, accepting of reality or being truthful rather than sort of hiding behind this facade of being public, politically correct and all that stuff. But at some point you have to do that when your team is drastically un- underperforming. Yeah. Like you have to put it out there that this is what's real. And you can't continue to – I mean, I don't want to say that you don't want to – because he's a very positive guy. He's always focused on the bright side. Sure. And I think that's important as a coach 85% of the time. Yeah. But every now and then you got to be real. Yeah. And I think this is a point to be real. We were at the midway point of the season. The Blazers are now seven games under five hundred. When you have a three-game lull on the schedule and you need to win these games, you've got to say as much because uh, there are some tough games and some tough trips coming up. Just w- next week, we're going to be gone for seven, eight days mm-hmm. uh, on an East Coast trip that uh, won't be easy. February, there's a lot of road games. Uh, so, you know, it's getting close to put up or shut up time for this team. And in his own way, that was Terry doing that, whether sure. or not he literally said must win or we need to win all three of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I guess for me too, and this is a little besides the point, I suppose. But okay, so they play the Lakers on mm-hmm. on Friday tomorrow. Oh, yeah, what yeah, <laughs> whatever day that is. Um, and that's the end of that three game stretch. Then they play the Cavaliers. You obviously don't add the Cavaliers in a must win situation because you know that you're probably not going to win that game. But then you play the Magic mm-hmm. after that. So if you take so if that Cleveland game were a week from now instead of three or four days from now, would he have said we need to get these four games? So, I, I mean, know. for me, it's like, uh, and then you, you get yes, to, like, I'm Philadelphia, say yes. a team that beat the crap out of you last year in their in their house. Like, is that a is that a must win? Yeah. Like, you have to, you need to get that game. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I, I'm literally asking these questions. No, no, I know. Answer. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not coming to it with a. I will say this. Uh, if Cleveland wasn't in the middle of the, of the four or five game stretch or whatever it is, he would have said we need to we need to win all four. Of yeah. Them. So but but and he could have then at least up. then maybe he could have extended that to Washington. I mean, Charlotte's pretty good and Washington's all right yeah. to Philadelphia as well. So, I mean, you could have said these next eight games are are must wins and no one would expect them to go on an eight game winning streak. No. I, I mean, to be fair, it's three-game winning streak is much more feasible than a five- or six- or eight-game winning streak, but still. Okay, far more important than... <laughs> this probably than, is not very interesting. interesting than that. It was... Uh, Stott had a new sort of defensive uh, substitution wrinkle last night uh, in the loss of the Pistons. In three crucial uh, defensive moments of the game at the end of over uh, regulation, at the end of overtime, and near the end of double overtime, uh, Terry pulled... Uh, arguably his two best players, certainly his two best offensive players, Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, in favor of Mo Harkless and Evan Turner, uh, opting to go with, I guess you would say, uh, a defensive lineup, or certainly a better and longer and uh, more talented defensive lineup in those situations. It worked two of the three times. Uh, Reggie Jackson missed, uh, well, he blew right by Evan Turner and then missed a layup at the end of the fourth quarter. Evan Turner had solid one-on-one defense, forcing a, a tough jumper that Reggie Jackson missed at the end of overtime. It didn't work at the end of double overtime uh, when Caldwell Pope hit a tough uh, three over Alan Crabb. So this is the first time I've seen Terry do it. Damian, yeah. uh, who who I asked about it after the game, said it was the first time he had remembered Terry doing it. Um, it was interesting, and I think it's reflective of not only w- – the the things Terry is trying and his staff are trying to do 
to to improve their defense, but emblematic of where this team is and the things that he's trying to do to to get them wins. It's it's something uh, certainly another departure uh, from the norm for him. Yeah, and I mean, and it, it you kind of fold it into the some of the larger changes the Blazers have have kind of tried to institute defensively over the past couple weeks, be it being more aggressive on double teams and and things of that nature, yeah. both in both in the post and for ball handlers. Uh yeah, both CJ and Damian not playing defensive possessions last night, which yeah, that was definitely something that we've never seen before. Uh but I think makes sense, you know, and, and I think one, it makes sense to get your best defensive players on the court. I think two, um maybe there's even a little Maybe I don't know about I don't think sending a message is the right way to put it, but like maybe they're just hey if you want to be on the court late in games on the off on both sides of the ball you got to play a certain way mm-hmm. you know and I I think it makes perfect sense for Terry to have gone to that and you know and again I think it's kind of you talking about his comments about needing to to get games and and just being a little more kind of open about what's going on with the team I, I think that kind of the changes they've made defensively kind of go into that as well. I mean, Terry, for the most part, has been pretty steadfast and like this is the defense we play and and things are going to come around on it. I would say over the past three weeks or so, there seems to have been an admission where it's like, well, maybe I believe that's what's going to happen. It's what I want to happen. It's what I've seen happen before, but it ain't happening now. Mm -hmm. So we need to actually make some changes and just see if they work. And, you know, I, I think it's it's been a bit mixed. I don't. I don't know that <laughs> that it's going to fix whatever problems they have, but just the idea that like we're trying things right now, and they're all basically on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, I, I think that's if you're a fan, I think that's it's a good thing to see. Well, you Obviously, see, yeah. you you want to see it have an actual result, but I mean, so I at asked, least willing to switch it up. I asked Terry and Dame about the the substitution switches uh, after the game. Terry essentially said that he he liked the length. Um, and and the, it gives them the ability to switch on pick and rolls, kind of like how Maurice Harkless and Alfred Aminu are virtual intercha- virtually interchangeable when they switch. You know, like in the playoffs last year on the Clippers when they switched point guard to four, like the, just that ability. Um, but before he decided to do that, uh, the Pistons had had worked to get switches on Marcus Morris onto Damian Lillard, and Morris hit two jumpers over Dame, and actually Dame played fairly good defense. But he's six three and Morris is six nine, so he just hit jumpers yeah, over him. And so, um, you know, Terry, I think he, his quote was, uh, you know, I just thought the length would be a little better. Um, well, I thought it was also interesting talking to Dame what he thought about the change because it directly impacts him, and obviously he wants to be on the court at all times. But his quote to me was, "We've got guys like Mo, Chief, AC, and Et who are all six foot six and up." They can defend, and we can switch everything. That works in our team's favor. He then kind of dissected how it helps before finishing with, so I understood it. I can't let my pride get in the way of what makes sense for one possession. So he's on board with it. That's good to see if you're a Blazers fan. Uh, and I think it's... On board. Probably not particularly happy, but at least on board. He said he understood well, it. And I think that's good. Like, yeah, I, totally. I mean, I, I think that's... You, yeah. you should be kind of pissed off when you get benched for reasons like that. Yeah. But... You shouldn't. I mean, you should accept it. But yeah. and that anger and motivation should be directed in the right place, right? And I don't think it's the last time I was about to ask Stotts if if he uh, wanted to uh, if he would do it again, and and someone asked a different question, and I didn't get mm. a chance to ask it. But he wouldn't answer it anyways. Well, but it would have been interesting. It would have been a good question. Said, yeah. yeah. 
and I expect him to use it again if yeah. it flows with it because it worked well. I mean, even the the game winner that Caldwell Pope hit. Uh, I mean, AC. I don't know what happened. He kind of got lost or had a lull in the lane and then darted out and he, he was a step behind him, which allowed him to catch the ball and mm-hmm. get the shot. But he was, I mean, he did have his hand in his face. Yeah, it was, was a pretty the, good contest. I it, mean, you know, it doesn't take hardly anything for a guy to NBA shooters yeah. to, I mean, they need just the thinnest bit of daylight to, to can the shot as we saw. I mean, well, CJ got, I mean, the, the, both those out of bounds plays, uh, the baseline out of bounds and side out of bounds, CJ got really, really good looks. I mean, and on, on the second one, you could say that he pushed off a little bit, but Reggie Jackson also, he also pulled grabbed his jersey. jersey so yeah. you know, uh, potato potato on that one. Uh, but yeah, and those guys don't need almost anything. Yeah. I mean, because for a lot of and for especially guys for shooters like Contavious Caldwell Pope or CJ or Dame, I mean, it's it's muscle memory. You know, like it's not really. I mean, you want to see the basket, you have a better chance of making the shot if you're uncontested. But when they get to those spots, it's like they're not really even thinking about the basket. It's like it's. Get the shot off. It's on its own. It's like yeah. Dame shot exactly. against Houston. It's a ball machine. It just yeah. goes. It uh, but yeah, to, to, to your point, you know, it's it's a larger, uh, just an indication of what the staff is, the coaching staff is trying to do to improve what is, you know, arguably, if not even arguably, the worst defense in the NBA. One of the, yeah. if not the. Yeah. So, you know, and and I don't know that the, the switching and, and the blitzing and the uh, – you know, double teaming out out on the perimeter that they've been doing is something you can do every game. Yeah, uh, and I think they've said more or less that. But it is something that it seems like the players want to do, mm-hmm. and that they're more engaged, and it seems to suit their personnel better. Especially Mason Plumley, who I, I would I should have looked this up. I would love to see what his steals are in the last two weeks. Mm. They've got to be combined uh, way more than he has had most of the season. Um, maybe I'm making that up, but it seems like like last game, early in the first quarter, he had a steal and a dunk, uh, you, you know, because he was out in the perimeter double teaming. And it seems like we've seen a lot more of that, uh, both from him and and other players as well. So um, I don't know. I think it's a tactic that you've when your defense is as bad as this team's defense has been. Eventually, you have to break from the norm and get away from what you think is best because it's not working. Yeah, and so and, you ha- you have to. And I think for the players too. I mean, I, I do think they, they like that style of defense because I do think it plays some of their strengths. But to your point, Joe, I think for a lot of them it's more like, hey, what we're doing now isn't working. Let's just try something else. Mm-hmm. Like, And outside of like, well, these are this is what I'm good at and, and I have these skills and these measurables, so I think I would be good at this. It's more like, hey, let's try something else. Yeah, Especially when it's a when it's an or defense that is meant to, to force tougher shots and teams are making those tougher shots. I think as a player, you kind of find yourself being like, hey, like I did what I was supposed to do, and the guy still scored. I'm still getting questions about why we're such a crappy defensive team. Let's let's just let's try something else, you know? And I, and I think that, that that goes along with players because they have pride too, and they, they don't like getting scored on. Yeah. So at a certain point, it's like, look, this might not even, even suit what I do best, but hell, let's, let's give it a go. Let's try it. Uh, speaking of Mason Plumley, he – you know, quietly, well, maybe not even quietly, but as the Blazers have been struggling, well, I guess they've been playing a little better lately. I, I, I it's so weird to say because yeah, they're not really good right now, but they've been playing. They've won. A, I don't know. I'm to the point where, for me, at, at and I decided this about a month ago. I am not 
I'm not saying they're playing better or they're playing worse until I'm seeing it consistently for like a two week period. There you you know, like I, they might be playing marginally better, but it, we're at the mid season. If you can't string together wins, I, that's that's all I can pay attention to at this point: the wins and losses. So, like, I while I don't want to take anything away from them if they are playing a bit better, fact of the matter is, you know, they're they're still not able to string more than two wings together at the time right now. So, I I mean, I I, I just got to fall back on that. I feel you. Uh, but to Mason, to the point is Mason is. Uh, Playing pretty well right now. Really well. Some of his best basketball, probably of his career, but certainly with the Blazers. Uh, again, eight points, ten rebounds, twelve assists last night. Um, he's. I don't know if this is right because they have Detroit duplicated here for some reason on this game by game thing. But yeah. according to this, in January, which is a small sample size, he's averaging thirteen points, nine rebounds, and seven point two assists, one point six blocks, one point four steals. So. You know, he's doing a lot in a lot of areas, and I think that's what he can do. Uh, I'll be the first to admit that defensively he's almost a liability in the post. You know, he's not yeah. big enough and and uh, stout enough to— Explosive to, enough. Sure, and to, all that to, yeah. to command the middle, but the way that they're using him now on some of those blitzes and some of those double teams and getting him out on the perimeter where you can use his athleticism to your advantage, I think, helps. Um, but he's— Man, he's playing pretty well right now. And even through their struggles, he's had some big moments. I mean, he had a 27-point, 13-rebound, uh, five-assists outing against the Kings in a loss last month. Um, you know, you can go on down the list of, of games that he's had and moments he's had lately. But um, for one of the few guys on this team who's actually playing for a contract, he's earning some money right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Mason won it. I mean, he's got... The skills that he has, particularly on offense, particularly in a Terry Stotts offense, work really well. And I, I just think that he's, you know, now that he's been in it, you know, a season and a half, he's he probably under he might understand what they do on both sides of the ball better than anyone else on the team. Um, and skill wise, Mason's playing fantastic. Mm-hmm. He's going to get paid, and he's earning it right now. For me, though, too, what what I think about the most when I think of Mason, particularly in how he's played lately, is I I, I think Mason hates losing more than anyone else on the team. I, I, more I think, than Dame? I think even more than Dame. Yeah, I, I mean, and and I don't think any of these guys have any 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 love for losing. But I I think I think for Mason, it's he's the personality that like we're playing poorly. I need to. I need to step. I need to do something different. I need to be better than I than I was playing before, hmm. and I think that that's I think that's partially why he's he's been so good. And I think I think his contract is part of it as well. I remember early. I think it might have been before the season started. I was talking to Ed Davis, and we were just talking about contracts and guys. And he was like, you know, guys, any guy who tells you they don't think about their contract in their contract year is a liar. And and Mason was was standing right behind me, and I was like, what about Mason? And Ed's like, why don't you ask him? He's right there. And basically, Mason was like. Yeah. yeah, you know. I well, mean, it's it, like Myers, you know, after last yeah. year saying all he said, then immediately coming out at media day this year and saying I lied last year. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Perfect example. But uh, similarly to Mason, and I think this is probably the two areas you can point to on this team right now that lately have been consistent, particularly when Damian Lillard was out all those games with his ankle injury. C.J. McCollum, in his absence, mm-hmm. has really – uh, picked up his scoring load and you know his at least on offense his um, 
his I don't know what word I'm looking for his performance let's go with that yeah um He's been balling lately. He's been producing. Uh, last night, in addition to the incredible uh, the clutch shots he hit to force overtime and double overtime before missing that that uh, shot at the at the buzzer. Well, it wasn't even at the buzzer, but late in yeah. the double overtime. None of those shots were buzzer beaters, actually. Yeah, they were yeah, all, none of them were, were all yeah. like, with like eight or nine seconds left. He did score 35 points. He had 14 of their 18 points after. So in overtime and double overtime, he had 14 of the Blazers' 18 points. And I'm trying to find my notes here. He has scored at least 20 points in seven consecutive games, which is a career high. And it was the ninth time this season that he scored at least 30. Heading into this year, he had eight 30-point games in his career. And I'm not sure what the updated stats are. I think he's averaging 31 and change over that seven-game stretch. So he's balling right now. And you sort of see a different look in his eye, actually. He always kind of has that don't-mess-with-me look in his yeah. eye, but it's sort of been taken to another level. And it's, it was interesting to watch last night a little bit because uh, Damian did a lot of, I wouldn't say deferring, but he fed the ball to CJ mm-hmm. late because Dame's still working back into his yeah. after being out for a while, and CJ was hot. So it was, uh, in some ways, I don't know if encouraging is the right word, but it was uh, interesting to watch him basically say, go ahead, CJ, take over. Yeah, and, and that it's interesting because it's usually the other way around. It's like kind of the, I don't know if I call it an agreement, but the way that they typically work is Damien defers to CJ early in games, and then Damien kind of does his thing late in games. Uh, I think you, if you're watching that game, you saw Damien take a couple shots in the fourth quarter that they were pretty short. Uh, I think that you know, working his way back from missing two weeks, playing in a double overtime game can be difficult. So I think it makes perfect sense for CJ to get to get those uh, reps, and and I'm glad he did because he he has obviously earned it. And again, a guy who's playing fantastic. I know I thought Eric Gunderson had a real good point last night. Just that you know the struggles the Blazers have gone through this year have really overshadowed how great CJ has been this year. And I mean, I I there's definitely an argument that CJ has been. Portland's best player this year. I mean, even take the injury out of it, you know, he I mean, he's averaging 24 points, real close to going 50-40-90, which very few guys do, you know, and that's that's, you know, shooting 50% from the field, 40 from 3, 90 from the free throw line. Uh he's at 40 he's at 49 41 or excuse me. Yeah, 49 41 and 91 right now. So, I mean, he's conceivably halfway through the season within that that realm which is typically you know the the elite players in the league, and and, and even the elite, a lot of guys don't get it. So, um, just a, a, I mean, and you know the the backcourt are what they are when in terms of defense, and you would hope that that maybe they can make some improvements there. But CJ has, I mean, CJ is carrying his his weight, and it kind of it just makes me feel kind of bad that I don't feel like we're or nationally CJ the conversation about him is about how well he's playing. It's should they trade C.J. McCollum? Can a Lillard-McCollum backcourt work? And I, I don't know. I just think that's, I mean, you know, I, I don't feel bad for C.J. because he's there's no reason to he's feel very bad successful yeah. and, and, and doing very well for himself. But just the notion that, like, he's having this great season and the talk seems to be about whether or not he can coexist on this team just seems kind of unfortunate. Yeah, it, mi- it might be unfortunate. It's also relatively justified, though, because, yeah. because of the Blazers' uh, lack of success and because they are their two best players and they do pose serious defensive issues and, um, you know, all the statistics, which are fantastic, that you just relayed, don't take into account 
what CJ has what or hasn't done on yeah. defense. And so um, between the undersized uh, combination of them two and their offensive mindedness, I, I do totally uh, get why um, – from a national perspective, and even from yeah, a local no, I, perspective, I, I understand yeah. it too, for sure. I, I'm just saying it, it; it just kind of stinks. Yeah. But and but I, I guess the one thing I would say though is that, I mean, people brought it up last year, but oh, not right, yeah, not to the yeah. level that they that I mean, and because they had some success last year, so people kind of let it die. Uh, and for me, it's like so. Okay, you enter the season or you enter the off season, and you know these are some of the issues that we need that the Blazers need to fix. You know, they need to be better defensively. Uh, they need to be better at the rim. They need more ball handlers. They go and try to kind of solve those problems in free agency. Doesn't work out as well as they would, would hope it had at least a halfway through the season. I don't know that that means you need to change Damien and CJ, you know, because you had a plan mm-hmm. for how you were going to deal with that. It didn't work. I mean, one guy hasn't, I mean, Fessazili hasn't played. So, I mean, that, that kind of goes out the window. Evan Turner has, you know, looked good in fits and starts, but definitely probably not what they were hoping to get from him, at least early. So I don't know that your reaction to that should be, let's trade one of these two guys. I I still think there's some room for, let's actually try to solve the problems that we were trying to solve in free agency that we hope we had squared away that evidently we did not. Let's deal with that first before saying, you know what, let's ship off one of our two best players. That's an interesting point, and it was actually something I was going to bring up in a different way, is that the other there's one side of the the opinion that you can never succeed with those two as your backport because they're too small and they're too limited defensively and you got to switch that up the other side is what if robin lopez was your center on this team what if uh insert defensive minded what if rudy gobert was your center on this team if you had a presence at the rim who would deter guards from penetrating into the lane at will and then scoring at will with little resistance how would that alter how the team fared defensively? And so if you can shore up that area, then to your point, maybe it wouldn't be necessary to to split up that backcourt because of everything else they provide. So there's two ways to look at it, and, and it's it's I think you're right. It's do you keep them together? Do you split them up? If you keep them together, you have to – for everything Mason does for you, you have to have a defensive presence there, yeah, at, at and, the rim, and to deter shots at the rim. And I guess that that that's kind of the the broader question yeah. is that do you do you decide that we need to be more defensive, so get rid of one of these guys, or is it these two guys are great? We need to jigger the entire offense around defense outside of those two guys. Yeah. You know, Washington. and I think that's. And and I think looking at what they did this offseason, I think that well, obviously they didn't trade either one of those guys, yeah. so so that's not what they're going to do. And and again, I don't think that's going to happen. By the way, uh, just for the record, I think we've stated that before, but I I just don't see. It seems that hard kind of to believe. Move. I mean, uh, I mean, I've never man, seen never, yeah. but it just doesn't. Neil Olshay loves CJ. He drafted him. Uh, he he allowed the coaching staff time to groom him and get him ready. The organization was patient with him through injuries and, you know, as he learned the game, uh, when he got his opportunity, he was great last year. He's been great on offense this year. Um, him and Dame are tight. They, they get along well chemistry-wise, on and off the court. So you have a lot to like there. Um, so it's it's it seems to make more sense to to fix other areas than to fix that. Now, if you decide that you can't fix the areas without fixing that, then... 
Yeah. Then you have to then, make it. Yeah. And, uh, one other thing, too, and this is just kind of more, again, more broad, is I, I'm always just curious why when things don't work out, it's taken as this needs to be fixed or like the, and this is what it is. Like this is the reality of the situation, i.e. the first half of this year. As opposed to when things go well, i.e. the second half of last year, you know, the, the, it just seems to me like there's a there's this inclination to write off the good things that happen and say, well, you know, that was just kind of luck. But then, like, accept the bad things that happen as, like, the absolute reality of the situation. I think and, it's just uh, it's where we're at now. So it's whenever you're in that moment. Yeah. And I like, think, I don't you're think right. either of us last year when we were doing this podcast in Oakland because the Blazers had surprisingly got to the second round of the playoffs, I don't think either of us thought, oh, this team has solved all of its problems no. and it's going yeah, to the finals and all that. So I think from our perspective, we're maybe a little more level-headed than the average fan. And so when things are great, this is the greatest thing in the world. And when things are awful, it's the worst thing in the world. And so I just think that's the nature of the world we're living in. So, well, and, and I think people just in general react... I mean, you react differently to negative news. When it's negative, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and 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 I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay how the issues, how the struggles that are happening right now, because they, those are legit. Yeah. But but again, like if you're talking more like long term, and you're talking about things like potentially trading, you know, a really piece. core pieces of your team, like it needs to be about more than what's happened in the last two months, you know, and and just like I I didn't think last year after they had some success that that should have really changed whatever their plan was. Because I still thought that, you know, they need to build this thing, you know, in a process. Okay. Um, so, I don't know. That's just something I was thinking about this morning when I was in the shower. All right. Uh, next uh, thoughts of what Casey thinks about in the shower. Uh, no. It's, 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 I only mentioned that because our bathroom just got remodeled and it looks very good. So, thank, thank you to the fellow that, that, that did the job. Nice, comfortable we, shower. We paid you handsomely for it. But, yes, it's they did a fantastic job. Excellent. Okay, next up, buy and sell. Excuse me, buy or sell. Casey. I don't know if you know this, but the Blazers made a minor trade last week. I didn't know that. Yeah. They traded a first-round pick to the Cleveland Cavaliers for a first-round pick from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. it does. Well, it makes yeah, sense because I know what you're talking about. They had already acquired a 2008 first-round pick in an earlier deal from 18. Cleveland. Excuse me? 2018. Yeah, I mean, they, they weren't going to go back in time 10 years. What did I say? 2008. Oh, sorry. That's 2018 okay. first-round pick. Yeah, yeah. A, a good friend and co-host. Would have known what you were talking about. Let you go, but I'm no, no, I'm neither. Got, so yeah. I, I've stopped you. As yeah, as well you should. Yeah, that's what I come to expect. Uh, they traded that for a 2017 first round pick from Cleveland to facilitate the ability for Cleveland to acquire Cal, Kyle Korver. Um, so now they have two first round picks this year: Cleveland's first round pick and their own first round pick. Uh, theirs is looking pretty good right now. Yeah. Cleveland's not so much. But I guess the question: buy or sell? Will the Blazers use Cleveland's first-round pick? So the first-round pick they just acquired, will the Blazers use that on a player they keep in the NBA draft this year? Hmm. Well, uh, just for uh, for posterity's sake, the Cavaliers, if the draft were held today, would have the 27th pick, which would go to the Portland Trail Blazers. Um, you know, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna sell that. Sell I, that. I think th I think they will either trade that pick or select it for someone else before that pick comes up, and potentially even trade it well in advance of the 2017 draft. Um, two two reasons: one, because I I just think that there's probably a trade somewhere 
this season, and Again. I think yeah, and I and I think that anytime you have a first round pick, that that sweetens the deal. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a nice piece for the Blazers to have the, the, to use in deals, and I would not be at all surprised if they did. Uh, and second, because those late first round picks, you know, it's it's debatable whether or not you would rather have a late first round pick that has a guaranteed slotted salary, or if you would rather have a pick. In the 30s? In, in the early second round, wherein you can negotiate that contract. And I don't know if that changes as well with the new rules about the D-League and being able to have guys on your roster who are playing in the D-League. I don't know if that changes kind of that metric at all, and Joe's shrugging like he doesn't know either, and I really don't know. I would like to ask somebody, but I don't know if anyone would really give me a straight answer. Uh, so for those two reasons, I will say no, the Blazers will uh, end up trading that pick. Uh, I agree. I will also sell... Uh, so, excuse me. Yeah, yeah it's fine. The only thing that gives me hesitation is that their roster uh, or their salary is so high yeah. that they sure could That's use some some low end salary that they have locked in for a couple years uh, just to help the books a little bit. But with two first round picks, I think the the greater value there for a team that is on the trajectory they're on is to package those or at least one of them with a player or something for a deal. And so I agree with you either at the deadline this year, one or both of those will be used or uh, at the draft this year, I think they'll be used as part of a trade. So yeah. I'm selling that. Well, and that's a good point too. And I was just thinking about this now. So what the last first round pick that the trailblazers added that they selected themselves would have been CJ. Because they didn't have one last year. The year before that, they had they traded Rondé Hollis Jefferson to the Nets for the for Plumlee, for, for Plumlee and and Pat. Technically, they did make a pick though, so that whole rule doesn't. It? Well, well, no, I, I'm not talking about in terms You're of just Stepien rule, yeah. but yeah, just the idea of adding young first round talent. Yeah, was uh, yeah, I guess it was it was CJ. Was that that, that just doesn't seem right. No, it, again, like yeah, I was just thinking about that. That doesn't sound right to me. Is yeah, there someone I'm forgetting well, here? Their roster is loaded with first round picks. Well, right. Of all their and trades. you know, yeah. you you trade for Noah Vonley who's 20 years old, so I mean, that in of itself is is adding young talent. Even Mo is, yeah. And Mo exactly. Yeah, I mean Mo Mo is 22 now, so Yeah. Yeah, because uh, Layman was a second round pick. Pat was a second round pick. Myers was with Dame. Was Dame's draft? CJ was draft after that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, so in that term, I mean, to to your point, Joe, you might need just to add some young first round talent because one, you need young players to kind of grow in your system, and two, because they're more cost effective. Yeah. And granted, those, those rookie scale salaries are going up now as they should have, which. Crazy to me that those didn't go up when everything else went up. The the fact that they didn't just up everything when the salary cap went up to me is that seems like one of the But when you think mistakes. about it, when you're in the players association and you're worried about where that money's going, you don't give a crap about the new but guys have, coming in well, at I that know, point. I know, but what I'm saying is that I and I'm and to to the rookie scale part, I agree. Yeah, yeah. But for me it's more about the the other guys. So oh, guys yeah, yeah. who are already on contracts. To me and again, I've said this before. The fact that they just didn't raise everyone's contract with the amount that this cap went up to me it's just it's it's crazy. It's ludicrous that they didn't do a smoothing that yeah. that, that your Ed Davises and Alfred Caminus and even say a star like Lamarcus in that class makes comparative or or 
drastically less than an Evan Turner yeah. and a Alan Crabb who just happened to or, hit free agency the year after. Or a guy like Mason Plumley who's sure. on the third or fourth year of his rookie scale yeah. contract. Well, he's going like, to make $100 million next Well, year, I, so he's fine. obviously going to get taken care of. But again, like just the idea that like, hey, I basically just because of bad luck and timing that I had no control over, I'm making significantly less money than guys around me like that. It's crazy. It just seems like from a union perspective, you would want that. And I guess maybe part of that was the league, too. The league just didn't want all those numbers to go up because that's obviously more money that every team has to pay. But it, it sure seems like that would have been the more fair thing to do. I'm driving this poorly. We're down to 15 to 20 minutes. We still have two more buy or sells and a bunch of questions. It's not, it's not your fault, Joe. It's my fault. No, it's our and fault. I'm jumping in and stepping on your comments and thoughts. Buy or sell. The Blazers will be sitting in the eighth spot or better in the Western Conference by the end of January. Ooh, uh, I'm going to weigh in on this first. Go, Joe. Bye, because the other teams, and they're not good, but the other teams that they're quote-unquote competing against are even worse. The Kings are there. The Nuggets are there. The Pelicans are there. As bad as the Blazers are, they're better than all three of those teams, as they've proven record-wise. They hold the tiebreaker over the Kings. Not that that matters by the end of the month, but they will be uh, better than those two, three teams by the end of the month, by the end of the season. And that is the craziest part about all of this, by their underperforming season, by uh, their up-and-down play, is that they're still going to make the playoffs as an eighth seed, 500 record or not, because of how bad that, or not bad, but so-so that crop of teams is right there. So I'm going to buy that. I'll do the same. All right. And I will, I will just leave it at that, Joe. You, you covered that all very well. The competition <laughs> for the eighth spot, uh, while I don't love the way the Trailblazers are playing right now, I will. I would trust them over the likes of the teams you just mentioned. Final buy or sell. Mason Plumlee will get a triple-double by the end of the season. I'm going to buy that. I know that, uh, obviously, the Jason Quick wrote that story uh, in preseason saying that Mason saying that he thought that he could maybe get multiple uh, triple-doubles a season, even though he has never actually logged one yet and his teammates agreeing with him. Uh but he came close last night. Obviously, it was in a double overtime game. But I think he had accumulated most of those stats. Well, not most of them, but even the the better part of the triple-double requirements uh, in the first four quarters. So, uh, And the thing about Mason, too, is that like you look at his minutes per game, like he, he plays under 30 minutes. Yeah, he doesn't so, play. Like, it, yeah. it's, so part of it is that like he doesn't play like super high minutes. Uh, but I think he will get one at some point in time. Uh, obviously, if he could have, like you said, Joe, if he could have got that uh, – that layup to go in, he would have gotten it last night. But not only that, so he got, he achieved the more difficult categories. He didn't get points. He was four for twelve from the field, and he missed two. His only two free throws. So you're like, you yeah, Blazers make- by the way shot fifty eight percent from the free throw line last night. Oh wow, that's awful. I didn't notice that. If I mean there there weren't, I, I think the Blazers shot twelve free throws. Pistons shot eleven. I think weren't a lot. So not not a whole lot of not a big deal, but. I mean, when you shoot 58%, you lose by one in double overtime. Uh, that's, I mean. So yeah. 43 games left in the season. Uh, that's one of 43 odds, but he's zero for whatever it's been. 82 times three plus 40, 39, whatever. I'm going to say yeah, bye. He's been close uh, multiple times in over the last month or so, so he'll he's due. He'll get one. There we go. Yeah. Now on to your questions, which, uh, as always, we solicit on Twitter, via our Twitter handles, Casey's is at Seahold, mine is at Blazer Freeman. And if you guys really, really, really are against Twitter and you aren't on Twitter or you don't understand social media or the ways of this crazy new world, 
If you can find our email addresses and you really want to submit a question to us on email, by all means, send us an email. We, Absolutely. We've had a couple people, uh, loyal listener uh, Jared Cowley has sent us uh, an in-depth question before on email. Feel free to do that as well. But yeah. we will not advertise our emails on no. air. If you want to go to those links and you hate Twitter that much, then you need to do the legwork. Absolutely. D- don't leave comments on my Instagram account, though. Like People, people will leave questions on my Instagram. I don't ever look at that. Yes. I post a photo and that's it. There you go. So don't don't leave me detailed questions in, on Instagram because I'll never see it, and I don't want you to take that as me ignoring you. It's just that I I don't pay attention to those comments. First up from Dan Zeal is last night's game indicative of the season? More up and downs than the Nintendo cheat code. Yes, it really I, it, was it, in it a lot felt of ways. Like a, yeah. yeah, because there were times. I mean, early in the game, Blazers were not playing particularly well. Another thirty point quarter allowed. And then middle of the game, it seemed like they were in control. And, like, I remember thinking, like, through the f- about first couple minutes of fourth quarter, I was like, yeah, you know, the Blazers have, have really kind of controlled this game since the first quarter. They were the up 10 yeah. in the third quarter. And then all of a sudden you look up and it's a tie game in the fourth quarter against a team that boat raced you in the fourth quarter to get a comeback victory the last time you played them at the Moda Center. And I guarantee you guys were thinking about that, uh, things tightening up as they often do. So... And then going back and forth, some great shot making, some great offensive plays, only to come just short. I would say that's a very, very uh, apt microcosm of the season so far. Totally. And here's uh, just a few statistics to back that up. The Pistons scored 125 points. Their backcourt combined for 57 points. They shot over 50% from the field. They scored 66 points in the paint. Evan Turner had a minus 12. Oh boy, man. Alan Crabb had a minus 7, even though he scored 30. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Blazers had a phenomenal offensive game, including their – well, Damian was, was so-so. But, uh, what, what, did, uh, what did the Pistons shoot from the field? 51%. God, yeah. So there were so many elements in so many ways that sum up this season in so many ways, including a back-breaking loss. So, yes, last night's game was indicative of the season. Okay, next up from Mike McCord, I enjoy the banter in the show. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Have you two thought about making a non-Blazer-related podcast? I'd maybe listen to it. Ah, oh, we had never thought about that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we make it, we just subject you guys to listen to our banter on this yeah. podcast. Which, and, by the way, despite the uh, critiques from a uh, vocal minority, most people seem to enjoy. Yes, I've, they I've, do. I've turned around to understand. For me, I... I mean, the things that I have expertise in that I feel like I could do a podcast about are already <laughs> well-worn podcast topics, i.e. television um, and food and I guess maybe that's it. I feel like you but, could have a great uh, Peter Griffin from from Family Guy had this. Uh, there was an episode where he had a, a television segment called What Grinds My Gears. Sure. It's really grinds my gears. Yeah. I feel like you could do that. I mean, that's already well. kind of what I use Twitter for anyways. And really, like, who... I don't even like to hear me complaining about stuff. I can't help myself, <laughs> but like I don't know why someone else would want to listen to it. So, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I appreciate the you do like our banter though, Mike, and that will continue on this podcast. Haters be damned. Uh, but thanks for listening as always, and we'll work in some non blazer yeah. stuff here. And if Mike, if you have a podcast, invite me on as a guest. I'll I'll join you. There you go for whatever topic it might be. Next up from Rashid Walton, boy, that would be an interesting uh, basketball player. Should the Blazers <laughs> make would. a move for? Joseph Nurkic. Uh, sure, why uh, not? Maybe I don't know. I I don't I don't know a ton about Nurkic. He's Denver's big. Well, I mean, I know who he is, yeah. 
particularly defensively. Like that's and that's the thing. Like I feel like to know if the Blazers are going to make a move, it needs to be it should probably be paid to shore up their defense, and that's not something you can just look at stats and. Let me, say he's a good defensive player. So I would have to actually watch Nurkic for a while to decide if I thought that would make sense. Let me pause you and allow you the opportunity because I know that you wanted to have a what really grinds my gears moment, uh, even though it wasn't really put that way. I'm going to read two more questions from two more fine, fine gentlemen who listen to the podcast, and then uh, and then you can you can you can continue. Okay. Uh, first up from Thomas Cogswell: Any update on trade deadline targets? and most likely Blazer to be moved. And then, from Mark Bear, with all the trade buzz from Paul Millsap, etc., why on earth would the Blazers make a trade that only helps them this year? I know that you wanted to sort of talk well, about one, the trade co- deadline. A couple things, sort of, yeah. yeah. One, I, it, it, I'll start with the last one first. Uh, I do not think it makes, makes any sense for the Blazers to make a deal with the idea of we need to make the playoffs this year. Whatever, if the Trailblazers are going to make a deal, I think it should be to add something that's going to help them for the next couple seasons. So in terms of and a guy like Paul Millsap, who's going to be an unrestricted free agent, I mean, I don't know. Risky. It, 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 it's risky, exactly. It, it, I mean, it would be – to me, that's kind of move you make when you think you're close, i.e. the Aaron Flalo trade with the Blazers. Obviously, they had to give up some stuff they didn't want to give up. Everyone would like to have Will Barton back at this point in time, I think, and obviously having to send that pick uh, was not great. But you make that deal because you thought – Hey, we if we if we can tweak something here, we can actually really catapult ourselves. Blazers are not in that situation right now, a- unless you're saying catapult ourselves into the eight seed, which into the seven is, seed <laughs> is not worth doing. Um, second, the idea of trade targets or or th- that that report about Tyson Chandler and about the Blazers were quote unquote tracking him. I don't know what that means. NBA front offices pay attention to what players in the NBA are doing. That's that's the job. So I don't know if that means that like they're saying that like they they're focusing on a guy or if it's just we're paying attention to players around the league who could conceivably get traded at some point in time because that's everyone. So that's not I mean that's not really a thing to me. So like if you're like, "Yeah, hey, what what's this deal with Tyson Chandler?" It's like I I don't know because they're paying attention to what the Suns are doing just like they're paying attention to what the Nuggets are doing. What the Heat are doing, magic. What the yeah, every team. So it's like, I I don't know what those kind of statements mean, and, and part of me thinks that they don't really mean anything. You know, they it's just, hey, here's a little something, and and people love trade talk, and heck, I love it too. Um, but it's it's not coming from Portland. That's the that's kind of the the thing I would end on is that I I think Neil O'Shea has shown throughout his time in Portland and and perhaps in Los Angeles, but I can't speak to that because it wasn't there, that he does not really trade in information through the media. You know, there are some some front offices that do that. Neil O'Shea does not seem to do that. When the Trailblazers make a deal, typically it happens, and nobody knows that it's going to happen until it actually happens. So if you see something about the Trailblazers are interested in this or the Trailblazers are looking at that, my guess is that... That's probably not coming from Portland, and that doesn't mean it's not true. But take that as you will, you know. So this is uh, what I, this is it. what I would say is: as a fan, have fun with the rumors and the banter that's out there because it is interesting and and to you to imagine who could possibly be uh, a member of the Blazers. Think about what the Blazers need. Imagine players that would help fill that void. But as far as 
trade rumors, quote unquote, heating up and trade deadline targets. Odds are, if you hear something, it's not going to. Yeah, be true. and that's or the not. Go- yeah, yeah, it's when you think about the trades Neil has made outside of a Flalo, who everybody knew was available at that time. You didn't think Robin Lopez was coming here. Nope. That just kind of happened. Mason Plumley was on nobody's radar coming to Portland. Nope. Draft night trade. Uh, Maurice Harkless. Nope. I mean, I could really go on down the list here of of who, who was the guy they got from Oklahoma City a couple years ago. Uh, Eric Maynor. He was no one that you guys thought about. Nope. Again, if there's a deal to be made, it's probably someone that you haven't even that certainly hasn't been in the headlines, so to speak. And, well, and there, you could even you could even you could even stretch that out to to signings as well. Who did anyone think the Blazers were going to sign Evan Turner like that? I didn't ever hear anything about that. Uh, a fellow for Oklahoma City who they signed to a max deal who who they matched. Enos Cantor. Uh, Cantor. Did anyone really think Blazers were going to try to sign Enos Cantor? You know, so like they they move what they move in. I won't say in silence, but they they do not telegraph their moves out. And again, they don't really they don't really put their their business on the street, so to speak. Yeah. So I get again, I get why you guys uh, yeah no, are I, so yeah absolutely. Yeah. And and I'm not I'm not saying any of this no, 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 no. Yeah, as well. Yeah, I, I was just telling. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, I think it's annoying because I don't find it to be entertaining. But I get why you guys like it because you want to imagine the possibilities of what could be and. Uh, you know, there are players when I think about, would Paul Millsap be good in Portland? Of course. He would be a good interior scorer. He's a good shooter, pretty good defender, a good uh, rebounder guy around the ball. They'd find a way to make him work. What are they going to give up for him? Is it too risky to to bring in a guy who's in the last year of his contract? It is the last year of his contract, right? He's a free agent after this year? Um, Millsap? Yeah, he's, least, he's yeah. going to opt yeah. out, yeah. So you look at all that stuff, just – Think, does this pass the sniff test? Does this make sense for the team? And I agree with Casey. It doesn't make sense to chase an expensive veteran to plug and fill uh, a need on a short-term basis when, first of all, you're seven games under 500 entering the midseason point of things, and you've got the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Toronto Raptors and even the Spurs who are significantly better than you who are clear in a way, far in a way, the favorites to win this year. You should be trying to improve on the trajectory you're on while being as good as you can, filling stuff in for the long term, not plugging a temporary leak, so to speak. Absolutely. So, by the way, I saw someone mention that I, I can't even remember where it was, and it might have been I might have been clicking on a thread that went to another thread that went to another thread, but someone was <laughs> mentioning that, you know, like Blazers are, defense is awful they need to make a trade to improve their defense they need to send cj to philly for jahil okafor and a first round pick and i was like dog okafor might be one of the worst defensive big men in the league like that's if you're gonna th- if you're gonna float trade rumors at least float stuff that's going to actually help the team <laughs> I sort those of are have, the ones i at least like to read i have an idea of what would be a good trade but i don't want to i don't want to say it because i don't want to fuel the madness but it would be it would be a good trade. Oh, I'm intrigued. Yeah. Have to I'll tell you off Tell this off air, yeah. Though, now that you've said it, though, Joe, people are going to be all in your mentions and want to know what you think it is. Should I say it? Uh, no, let's leave some suspense. Okay. Let's, uh, let's leave them hanging. Okay, we need to uh, bust out these questions yeah, let's, because there's I, flights yeah, to I, be I, had. I got flights there's, to catch, okay. yeah. Uh, from D. Lloyds, why, why do Myers, Leonard, and Noah Vonley play over at Davis at this point? 
There were big negatives yesterday. Thought Davis could at least get his hands up. I've talked to Terry about this multiple times, including before the Lakers game. Basically, he laughed at my question, uh, first of all. He did. I, and I was there. Answered it, and then afterwards when I asked why it was so funny, he said it was predictable. So you've got that going for you. At least I have that going for me. A uh, little insight into what I deal with. But um, he basically said that Al Aminu is playing all of his minutes at the four, which has eaten into time that he has to play the collection of bigs that you just mentioned, particularly Ed Davis, who I was asking about. Mm-hmm. Because heading into that Lakers game, Ed Davis had not played in two of four games. And you can add a third out of six games now because he didn't play in the last game. So basically what he said is there's not going to be a consistent rotation per se. Everybody's got to be ready for whatever minutes they can get. Essentially, he has, when you parse out his normal rotation, he's got 36 minutes to spread between Myers, Ed Davis, and Noah, and he will play those guys depending upon matchups. Probably should have written a blog post about this, which I guess I still can, but um, it'd be a short one because that's about all it because uh, <laughs> he's not very uh, forthcoming more than that. Sure. So uh, I don't know. I can't even necessarily figure out when he plays who and why because it's really varied at this point. But typically Myers will play when he can spread the court and guard a big in the post. And Ed Davis is pretty much exclusively playing center because Mo Harkless even gets a few minutes at the four now and Al Farouk plays the four. And I don't know how Noah fits into it all. It's very... Uh, I don't know what the word is. Yeah, I mean, I, I someone asked me this question on Twitter the other day, and basically my response, and it will stay the same response, is that, one, Ed is not playing particularly well right now, and not to say that, that Myers Leonard or Noah Vonley are exactly lighting the world on fire or anything, but they're, I think they're playing a little better than Ed right now, and it's matchup-based. So, um, you know, I'm sure that Ed's not real happy about it, and I sure as heck wouldn't blame him for that, but, um, you know, I, I don't think that, Watching last night's game, I didn't get the sense that I didn't ever think, boy, Ed Davis would would be making a difference in this one. I mean, like if your concern is Andre Drummond did what Andre Drummond did, Andre Drummond was doing that versus whoever Ed the Trailblazers were going to throw out, out at him. So he averaged twenty and twenty against the Blazers last year, and Ed Davis played in those games. Okay, next up from Omar Ahmed, what are your morning routines? Advice to be successful. Oh, he's looking for routines in the morning that will help him be successful. Sure. Oh, boy. Brush your teeth for at least yeah. two minutes. That's what the uh, dentists say. Uh, I mean, I don't know what kind of person you are. I, I would say open, you know, wake up and think positively with some type of positive thought, but not everybody rolls like that. And sure. I think there are different ways to be successful. You don't always have to be like that. But um, for me, it, it, I what I try to do, is, and working from home, and obviously, Joe, you do the same thing, or from hotel rooms, what I find helpful, and, and this may not be how you you work, so maybe this isn't all that helpful to you, but for me, I find it's helpful to get up in the morning and, and, and get going, you know, like, so I don't watch television in the morning. I don't, on road trips, God I don't no. watch TV at all. God, no. Um, you know, get up, get dressed, and get moving. Like, I, I get up, and first thing I do is sit down in front of my computer. Maybe that's not particularly well, healthy. That's just like watching television. But Well, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, act, I'm looking for things. You're I'm working. not, yeah, exactly. Okay. Like, I'm not, like, just sitting there letting the television wash over me. And, and I love watching TV. Like, I mean, it, it's my thing. <laughs> but I, I found that, like, it, if, particularly working from home, it's like, it's right there. I could watch TV anytime I wanted if you start down that path you get yourself into trouble you don't get the work done you want to do so I, I, I find that it's helpful to get going right away um, 
and that's you know I, I've always been a morning person anyway, so maybe that's part of it. I hate um, mornings; they can go to hell. Yeah, and my my other advice, and this is something that I don't do very well that I've tried to do more. Um, when you get up in the morning, I mean, maybe like check your phone quickly, but don't sit there on your phone for like a half hour. And I find myself doing that sometimes, and it goes against my plan of getting going early in the morning. So uh, leave the mobile devices till like nine thirty. Yeah. Uh, just wake up and tell yourself it's going to be a, a fun, enjoyable day, and, and there's lots of wonderful things to be had ahead of you, and then you will just magically be carried onto a cloud that will just whisk you through a day of positivity and fun and yeah. productivity. And just, you know, try to think about the, the things that you have in your life that are good. You know, like for me, it's like I, I'm kind of prone to negativity a lot. And sometimes it's very helpful just to kind of stop myself and think like, no, Casey, this is where your life is at right now. You have many things to be happy and thankful for. You're very lucky. And I, and I realize that's not the case for everyone. You know, yeah. some people have really hard lives. And I'm not saying those people out there who are really struggling just buck up and, you know, like Mentally, think about, think yeah, about yeah. the positive side because that's, that's bogus. That's crap advice. Uh, but I just find that it's helpful every now and then to be to be mindful and uh, think about your breathing. That's one other thing too. This yeah. is going too long. I remember I heard that from a Buddhist on a NPR show one time, and it's always stuck with me. Just think about your breathing. That's very. Uh, you do a lot of that in yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, here's oh, just a tiny piece of advice, and this is, is something anybody can use: is think about what you do on days that are you are more productive, or you more are happier, and and you have better days. What did you do that morning? Like, start start logging things. When you had crappy days, what did you do that morning? And then find the commonalities that led to good days. For each person, that might be different. So for you, you know, maybe it's different than, than another gentleman in, an, in another state or whatever. Find out what those uh, commonalities are and then try to stick to those. That's, I guess, what I would yeah. honestly advise. Uh, next up from Jeremiah Wilson. Do you think the Blazers are better when Dame and CJ aren't on the floor at the same time? Thanks, guys. Thank you, Jeremiah. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think that. I think you want your two best players, certainly your two best offensive players, on the floor at the same time. And really, um, they do. They are staggered right now because they both do split times running the point. Um, but I think I'm a guy who, generally speaking, you want your best players on the court at, at for the most of the time. So for my money, I w- would want if I was a Blazers fan, my two best players on the court. Agreed. And I, I think that you know again. They're they're so good at what they do that I think you live with it and you construct the rest of the roster to to buttress their deficiencies. Uh, from Jeff Lopez is Lillard time now McCollum time. It's Ooh. definitely an option. I mean, I, I you know I I was I was really glad to see Damian defer last night. And granted, I think it it probably had more to do with with play call fatigue than anything oh, else yeah. but i i hope that it carries over more and and for the record i think damien is great in crunch time i think that you know for the most part any shot that he takes late in games is is a decent shot i i do think it would be beneficial to everyone damien included to just mix things up a little bit every now and then yeah they have that play that they've had a rollo had a game winner a while back they've used at the end of of quarters that has been successful with Myers and Mason that little inbound pass mm-hmm. where the center scores at the rim mm-hmm. that's one way they could go having CJ do what he's been able to do and Dame do what he's been able to do the more areas you can attack someone in crunch time the better looks you'll get when, when you can throw different looks at them so uh, I don't think that McCollum time is replaced Lillard time but I think they both have their opportunities to have their times and I think that's better in the long run for for the team I mean that epitomizes "Quote unquote Blazer basketball." Yeah. So and CJ's just damn good offensively. I mean, he's he's he can score. He's really good. 
Okay, uh, from Mad Max Braley, who builds a better snowman? Ooh, uh, I haven't seen your snowman work, and I, I'm gonna say probably Joe. I I don't uh, I don't really have the patience for that kind of work. Um, I just like to be outside in the snow, though. It is fun. Yeah. Okay. Next up from Michael VIP Lowry, can this team, as is, get past the eighth seed? If not, is it time to tank for this deep draft? I mean, they're they're getting to the point mathematically where any where anything better than the eighth seed is starting to get difficult. I mean, they basically will have to win a lot of games, and the teams above them will have to lose, maybe not lose a lot of games, but definitely not play Alter, as well as they've yeah. played already. So, you know, I, I I don't know if it's a situation where the team kind of looks at where they're at in another month and says, hey, this is not going to be our year. Let's go in a different direction. But I think we've talked about this a little bit before. How do they tank? Exactly. That's yeah. that's the thing. How? Because... Unless guys get hurt and they can't play, I don't... What What do you... You sit your best player? I don't know how this team tanks. Unless, again, unless Dame and CJ get hurt, I don't see how that's possible. Plus... Yeah. You know, if if you blatantly start doing that, then you're answering a, you're having to answer a lot of questions about all the money you spent in the off season, what went wrong, why did you do this? You know, is your plan to crap? You know, what's the future look like? So, unless you can do it in a way that isn't obvious, and I don't know how you do that, where you just get to the lottery, uh, either that's going to happen or it's not. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't see them getting above the eighth seed, but I also don't see them tanking. If that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense, Joe. I think you've I think you've laid out your your reasoning uh, very well. Okay, last up from Mark Bear. Uh, oh, another question from Mark. With the weather and Steve Nash, I don't know why Steve Nash got thrown into it. I guess because he's a former NBA player. But with the weather and Canadian. Steve Nash, which Trailblazer would be the best hockey player? Uh, I mean, I think we've kind of talked about this. I I my stock answer is Pat. My, my we haven't talked about this. Before. Well, not hockey, but we've talked about what players oh, would be athlete, better in other yeah. sports. Um, and I think Pat, because he grew up in the Northeast, uh, he's probably skated a bit in his life. He is a great all-around athlete, and he's not too tall. Being tall is not a good thing in hockey. Like you want to have a lower center of gravity. Yeah. And uh, while all these guys are are much larger than your typical hockey player. I think Pat is is probably the right. Maybe Shabazz too. Actually, yeah. Shabazz also grew up in that area. Um, is a uh, is a bit crafty. It might be Shabazz, but I, I think Pat's a better all around athlete than than Shabazz is. So I'm gonna I'm, go with. Uh, there's two guys that come to mind. I didn't think about Shabazz. That's a good one. My two choices are both from the Boston area. Noah Vonley, despite his his height, is a beast. Sure, he's cut. He could just plow some suckers uh, on skates, assuming he can skate, but. That he would be my backup. I would go with Pat, mostly for the reasons that you said also, but mostly because he can grow one hell of a mullet. And if you get that oh, yeah. mullet going down in that hockey helmet, like, boom. Well, I mean, talking, he, he, he definitely looks the most he like, looks like a hockey, a player. hockey yeah, player. Yeah, for sure. So, and I'm like, I, I agree with you. I think he's probably laced up the skates a time or two, has probably played a bit. I mean, Boston is a very passionate hockey town, sports sure. town in general. But uh, So I'll go with Pat, and then next up, Noah, just because – I could see him just murdering dudes yeah. on an ice rink. No, I, I think Noah as your uh, as your blistering defenseman yeah. would uh, would definitely work. I mean, two more things real quick. I mean, I think any of them would be good in goal because it won't require that much skating, and they're all very long. And to your point, Noah, he's a he's a big body. You you set Noah in front of that goal, there's not a whole lot of, uh, of empty to, space yeah. too. And the other thing I would say is that Damien does love roller skating, so I mean, mm-hmm. it's possible that he might be able to translate that to the ice. I, yeah. I don't know. Sure. Okay, 
This has been a very long podcast. It's been a while since we brought you one, though, because of holidays and travel and various things. So we decided, by accident, to bring you an extra <laughs> long episode. Thanks, as always, for listening. You can follow Casey on Twitter, at Seahold. And uh, you can follow me, at Blazer Freeman. You can access Casey's stuff at blazers.com slash forward center. And you can access mine at organlive.com slash blazers. Thanks so much for listening. We will talk to you again next week. Bonzi Wells, what a handle, it's amazing what he do for the sport. Damon Stoudemire saves the day, a.k.a. Mighty Mouse, gonna show all of you scrubs how to play. What a show, why the Lakers even want it with us, you know. No one's ready to deal with us.